Well, do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! Welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode 45, year two. Today, we're going to talk about whatever the fuck you want. And we have a special guest, the owner of 2 Plus 2 Publishing, Mr. Mason Malmuth, to talk about a new book he has coming up. We're also going to talk about sports coming back, the world going crazy, my incredible online poker rush that has come to a crashing halt. Buckle up, the mouthpiece is next. What up, what up? How's it going, everybody? Hope you missed me. I missed you guys. Oh, a lot of things since uh, we had our last podcast. I think we had our last podcast about two weeks ago. Um, You know, with Corona and everything, uh, there's not really much in the poker world to really talk about. Um, So uh, basically, we can basically talk about me. Uh, I uh, really had a a really, really great, great run in a few private games online. Um, It got me on my feet. It got me to pay back, oh God, almost all of my debt that I owe to people. I owe one more person now. Um, And I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, For the first time in my life in seven years, I could say, I've gotten off the bottom and I'm back on close to the top of the mountaintop. So it's a good feeling. I'm playing great, great poker. Uh, Adjusting to online uh, was always my problem. Uh, That's why I never lost playing live. I had two losing months in 24 years playing live and uh, I used to lose millions playing online. Well, I kind of fixed what was wrong, kind of what my leaks were. Um, A friend taught me how to adjust to playing online, uh, certain situations. Uh, I I did that with my instincts and my ability and my feel to really become a monster again. Uh, Never thought thought I'd have a day where I'd say, I'm a no limit hold'em monster again, but, uh, I am, and, uh, but I'm not all the way back. I would, I would say, let's see, we go back to 2005, where I I do believe I was the best no limit hold'em player in the world. Um, I would say I'm 88% of that player. Now, with as good, as good as everybody's become in this day and age, um, I would say, you know, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. So I'm gonna keep working, keep studying, and uh, see what happens. You know, see what happens, and with these WSOP online events coming up, uh, I I really believe in my heart that you're going to see a lot of deep runs for me, starting on Wednesday, and I'm going to be live streaming all of these. So um, it's going to be uh, kind of fun. We're going to uh, do like fun video vlogs, kind of like I'm going to the uh, World Series of Poker like you've watched the last three years on my scooter. 
except uh, we're going to do a lot of fun stuff here from the house uh, to make it look like I'm preparing to play in a bracelet event. So, uh, you know, tune into that you, on my YouTube channel, Mike the Mouth at youtube.com, and uh, you'll be able to get uh, all the streaming of all the events that I play. Uh, so that's uh, what's on the horizon for me. I, um, in case none of you know or are oblivious, I uh, started my own online home games. Uh, they are private home games, $1, $2, and $2, $4 for now. Uh, we might eventually go as high as 5 10 but that's it. Uh, I have, uh, including in that, what I do is I Zoom with my fans for two hours a day from the from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific. And uh, then I play a little bit longer uh, sometimes. Sometimes I take a nap. Then I go and play in a bigger private game I'm in. And uh, then I come and play a little bit more at my site. But uh, it's worked over pretty good. I mean, we've been doing it for about two weeks. Everybody that plays is very happy. And there's even some days, you know, because we do do it seven days in a row. Some days we only have four, five, or six in the Zoom. And we, when, we, when we do that, it's almost like a, a private group lesson. So uh, basically, I uh, during those two hours of Zoom, I, I help people out. I teach them basically everything so many people are lacking in their poker game to make them a better poker player. Uh, I, I kind of work hard at it to uh, make my fans happy that go on to Zoom. So uh, that's uh, basically what I have been doing. Um, so anybody who wants to play with me in Mike the Mouth Home Games, you can email my assistant at mouthpoker at yahoo.com that's mouthpoker at yahoo.com. And uh, my assistant, Ben, will give you details on how to join. And uh, it's a really good experience. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast uh, and you want to join and play with me in 1, 2, and 2, 4, I am offering a, a $100 uh deposit bonus for anybody who listens to the show so uh if you want to put in 200 you'll get 300 and uh you get to play with me a minimum of two hours a day every day and you'll uh i think you'll enjoy that experience uh i um i really pride myself on teaching people how to play and showing everybody a good time and I play, and, and the and the and the uh, private game I play in is in, in a very, really good online site with probably it probably honestly might have better software than PokerStars. The software is amazing. A lot of fun things to do on the site. Lots of fun little memes. What are they called? Memes or mem memes? Memes. A lot of fun memes to throw at people and make fun of people. We just have a good time. So, you know, um, I'm really, uh, really, I really enjoy that. So it's like 
my days are are pretty good. I think I think the reason why I had such a good run and a good little run during this um, pandemic is uh, I'd be playing poker. I'd wake up around noon. I grab some food. I'd relax. I would uh, you know see what's going on in the world. Try to stay off Twitter because it makes me crazy. Twitter is an evil place to be. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes uh, when you see me on those Twitter rants, it's uh, usually because I start reading the shit going on in the world and it gets me aggravated. So, you know, I'm trying my hardest to stay away. Uh, I got a new little kitten who's a, literally a madman. Come here, little guy. As you see, here he is. This is Gizmo. He is now, what is he, four months old, and he's a terrorist. Literally, goodbye, terrorist. He's a terrorist. There's not a, there's not a wire he doesn't eat. He wants to play 24-7. Look what he did now. He, he's got his toy in the food, and what he's going to do now to try and get his toy out of the food, and he's going to knock all the food over. I mean, I really should put this on video because this is what he's going to do because he's what he does every day. He's crazy. He's a crazy little cat. So, uh, anyways, so the home game's fun. Uh, I, I stick to a schedule. I play two hours on Zoom in the home game. I then take an hour nap from like seven to eight, uh, grab some food, jump in my private game, usually playing that game from 8.30 till about 2 a.m. And then I play in this other tiny, small uh, private game, which is 248 from like 2 a.m. to like 4.30. So so I basically put in 12-hour days playing online poker uh, with some breaks in between uh, in three different private games. I play two to four, two hours on Zoom, sometimes four hours in my room, uh, at my home game room. And then I play in, uh, we call it Phil's home game uh, at... Uh, Phil kind of hooked up between all his friends. And uh, then I play in another game that's small. So uh, it, it's kind of good because I get to play one $2 in my room or two $4. Then I play uh, 20 40 in uh, Phil's private game. And then I go back and play a 2 4 8 game late at night when I'm unwinding, trying to get ready to go to sleep, which is kind of like I help my friend out late at night and the game's real good and he lets me in even though I'm like the only pro he lets in. And uh, we they love me. I make fun of everybody. We have fun. So kind of like that, that's been my schedule in poker. So you guys are all listening and, and tuning in. Uh, we will have um, all the World Series Poker online bracelet events. I'll be streaming them from my studio here. Uh, after that, I have actually looked in and I'm in discussions with this lady down in Cabo where I'm going to play the other events of the GG Poker online events from Cabo. So... Um, it's funny, people are like, whoa, why would you leave? You could play out of VPN. Now I'm not playing no VPN. It's the least thing I need to do is win a bracelet and then tell tell me it's uh, you can't have it. So I'm not going to take those chances. I don't even know what a VPN is, honestly. But uh, 
So they were trying to explain to me, but I didn't give a fuck. So I'll be uh, definitely going to do that, looks like, as long as I'm out of pain. Now, lately, my pain level has been great. I was literally pain-free from February 29th all the way to about three weeks ago. I took another, um, uh, uh, what's it called, prednisone pack about two, three weeks ago and for a week. And the last two weeks, I felt really good. So um, health is doing good. Poker's doing good. Uh, playing my online home game is fun and doing good. And that's going on in, in the poker front. Now, um, switching over to, uh, I don't know, maybe you want to call it politics, but I I guess we can. I don't want to really talk much politics. It's kind of way too divisive. And right now the world's gone fucking crazy. Uh, I want to talk about a, a Facebook post that I put up about four days ago and uh, watched poker news attack my character and attack me as a crazy person and attack me as a crazy rant because they don't agree with my views. Um, let me tell you all motherfuckers out there, this is how it works. We live in a free country with the right to free speech. If you don't like my views, you disagree with them, you could call into my show and we could debate any fucking issue you want. But you guys won't debate it. All you want to do is talk shit because that's what the crazy leftists do. They won't debate you on an issue. They won't tell you blah, 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 I did this and try and explain why I'm wrong. They just call you names. That's what they do. You're crazy. You're insane. You need medical attention. Check yourself into a psychiatrist, blah, blah, blah. Yet when I put a poll out of a way I feel about something, somehow 40% agree with me. So like, granted, Six out of ten don't, but most of the people who follow me are liberal poker players. So for 40% with that many uh, liberal poker players that follow me, guess what, guys? I'm not fucking crazy. Just open your eyes a little bit and stop thinking that just because I say something that it's wrong, okay? I just want you all to know I am not against wearing masks out in public okay no matter of fact when i go out i wear a mask if you don't believe me here this is the mask i wear now this is a real mask you motherfuckers wear fucking these cloth bullshit masks let me show you something see this mask here goes on my fucking head it pulls over like this see these clips this pulls all the way to the back and it pushes it to your face so nothing gets in. Not a dumb ass paper fucking cloth that don't do shit. These are filters. These are interchangeable filters. You guys don't want to get corona, you wear something like this. Not the bullshit that they tell you to fucking wear that does nothing. So I just want to show you this because I'm not fucking crazy. Okay? I just want to show you guys that. So... You know, when I do go out in a crowded area, I, I wear my mask. But my problem is we live in a free country. 
I know a lot of you motherfuckers might want to be communists because you are. And I don't live in a country where a government is going to tell me what I can and can't do and what I can wear and what I can't wear. That's flat out a true dictatorship and that's flat out communism. So when I say Governor Sisolak is a commie trying to make me wear a mask and I get attacked, listen, I go out like fucking once a fucking month. I never leave my house, okay? We've been locked up for four fucking months. Do you think if I didn't want to wear a mask, I'm going to give somebody corona? How the fuck am I going to give someone corona? I ain't left the house in four months. Okay, that's my fucking point. My point is, is everyone is in such a rush to give up their fucking rights as an American citizen. That's the problem. It's not that I'm not going to wear a mask. It's I'm against the government mandating, telling me what I can and can't do. They are trying to control society to control you. That's it. If you want to be controlled by government and be a fucking sheep, then listen to what they have to say. If you don't want to go out and you're not afraid, if you're afraid to get corona, then don't go fucking out. If you go into a restaurant and that restaurant mandates you to wear a mask, you wear a mask. But don't tell me I can't leave my house without a mask on. You can go fuck yourself. That's called my fucking First Amendment rights. You understand that? That's all I wanted to say. So when Poker News writes a hit piece on me saying I'm crazy and I went on a crazy rant, they're just a bunch of fucking commies. I don't want to hear the bullshit. You disagree with me, you disagree with me. That's it, okay? Now we got that past me. I had to get that out of my system because it's really bothering me. Anyways, going on to what's going on in the world, okay? Now I know a lot of people who listen to me right now are going to be pissed. That's okay. Trump's a fucking moron. I just want you guys to all know this, okay? With that said, the alternative is worse as far as my opinion, okay, everybody? That's my opinion. You're allowed to have an opinion in the United States of America that is disagree or different than yours. Do you understand that? Just because Trump's a fucking moron doesn't mean I'm going to vote for a brain-dead man with dementia that needs to be in an old age home being nursed on because he can't put two sentences together. And anybody thinks different or is just completely misinformed, okay? All you have to do is study. Do your fucking research, okay? That's it. There's a reason why they hide Biden and he's nowhere in any public view. Today he gave a press conference for the first time. I haven't even looked how he bumbled through it, but I'm sure reading off the prompter, they gave him the easiest words to read because the guy can't put two sentences together. Now, you don't have a choice. They're running a fucking idiot, brain dead person against Trump, okay? People ask, like me, there's going to be a lot of people going to be mad at me on the right that I call fuck a mor- Trump a fucking moron. Well, let's see. Um, why is he a fucking moron? From day one of the pandemic, I said, why is he out with the task force 
arguing with the fucking reporters. The guy hasn't been able to beat the media for three and a half years. Did he really think all of a sudden coronavirus is here that he's going to all of a sudden they're going to say, yes, Lord Trump, you're such a great guy. We love you. You're doing a great job. No, because even if he was doing a perfect job, which he made a lot of mistakes, they would till tell him how bad a job he was doing. If he told them that he himself found the cure to coronavirus and he himself in his own Trump biology lab had came up with it, they would say, you're killing people, you're a liar. So he can't win. But the moron, I think that's my new name for him, decided he's going to argue with everybody nonstop and make a fool of himself. You have a press secretary for a reason. The new secretary, Kevin McNamara, is amazing. He should have just had the press secretary go out there with the task force, then address the nation at 5 p.m. from the Oval Office for 10 minutes every Saturday night off a teleprompter, and his approval rating would be about 70% right now. Instead, it's fucking around 40% because his narcissism and his ego, he saw the ratings and the numbers that were tuning into his press conference. Wrong. Well, well, shut the fuck up, Danny. Don't give me no shit right in the middle of my shit, okay? You are fake news. Shut up, Trump. Shut the fuck up. You're a fucking moron. Now listen. If he would have just done that, he'd have been sailing away. But see, he saw, this is what narcissisms do. do. He saw, oh my God, 16 million are tuning into my press conference. This is a media bonanza, okay? The only difference is, instead of two to 100 to 500,000 people watching his press conference, 15 million were watching his press conference. And they watched him, even though I felt he did a good job, which you could agree or disagree with, he still kept starting fights with the media because they would ask, I got you questions because they know he's an idiot and he would fall for the I got you questions over and over. And when 15 million people see this, guess what's going to happen? Your poll numbers are going to crater. And they started cratering from from 63% approval on the corona to 55 to 52. And the fucking idiot didn't quit doing press conference till his poll numbers had dropped 16 points. That's all. That's what's called a moron. And as somebody who supports Trump's policies, okay, and I still support Trump's policies, there's a lot of people out there will disagree with that, but that's fine. Um, it's just It's just disgusting to watch his narcissism take him down. Now, he finally has the press secretary not doing a press conference, but it's like too late now, okay? You put that together with the, the well-funded, orchestrated for two years, Black Lives Matter movement that's going on in the country. If anybody thinks this movement just self-organized to hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, you're just a sheep and dumb and stupid, okay? Now, there's plenty of peaceful protesters and plenty of good people, but fucking half of them are fucking Antifa anarchists, hell-bent on destroying the country, erasing history, burning the shit down. 
You won't see anything on MSNBC or CNN right now about the riots and the burning and the looting because they want to keep the narrative that it's all mm, Trump's fault because everything is Trump's fault. That's just how it is. Now they want to put Joe Biden in office. The guy has been in office since I was four years old. I'm 52. What in the fuck has he done in 49 years? You got it. Beside the fact that people say he's a nice guy, but he's brain dead and he's not going to change anything. He is the ultimate insider. He's in bed with China. There's he's literally I, I don't even know where to begin about this guy. OK. Anyways. You know, there's a lot of things coming up. There's four months to the election. I do believe it's going to be very hard for Trump to win because of all self-inflicted wounds. And uh, maybe maybe that's why sometimes I go on some of these rants. You know what I'm saying? Because it aggravates me when you truly believe, and I do, I do believe Trump cares about the country. I do believe he cares about making this uh, America great. You know, but I also believe that his lack of self-awareness and lack of empathy is uh, was really um, shown during this pandemic, and I don't I don't believe he'll be able to turn this around. Now, he's a miracle worker; you never know. Um, so, just wanted to touch on that. Uh, when I put out on that poker news thing on my Facebook tweet, my body, my choice, I was they're like. I'm comparing it to abortion. Well, I kind of am. Now, I'm pro-choice, you know. I believe that there should be a heartbeat law because there's so many millions of babies that are being aborted at five, six months, some seven now, you know. And if you think I'm lying, go look it up, okay? Don't sit there and say I'm making it up. Do your own fucking research. And then you'll say, oh, my God, Mike was telling the truth. The media never told us this, whole la, la, la. So I just say, my body, my choice. If I don't wear wear a mask, that's my body. That's my choice, okay? The same thing. Now, you don't like the way I framed it? I'm sorry I fucking butt hurt your feelings, okay? But it's just the way it is. It can't be my body, my choice when you're literally murdering a five-month-old baby, but it's not my body, my choice when I ain't left the fucking house in four months and I don't want to wear a fucking mask. Okay? If you guys can't see the correlation there, then you're just dumb sheep and that's it. Now, I'm going to let the rest of that subject go. I never touch on the abortion subject because I think it's very controversial and it's just something you need to stay away from. So I mostly do. But I, uh, the only reason why I did use those words in my Facebook post was because I wanted to get a point across. And of course, all the people on the left attack me because they don't understand getting a point across because if you disagree with them, the mob comes after you. That's it. If you disagree, the mob comes after you, okay? I thought that the Democrats were the party of love. Party of love, if they disagreed with you, would call you on the phone, they would talk to you, they would debate with you of why they feel a certain way then you would debate with them and tell them why you feel a certain way. That's how the country works. That's how it was founded. It wasn't founded on my way or you're a fucking Nazi or you're a fucking racist. That's just fucking the media stoking division in an election year. All the shit you see is the media stoking a division in an election year. 
Let me ask you this. This is it, and we're going to go away. And then we got an uh, uh, interview coming up with uh, the great Mason Malmuth, who is the owner and publisher of 2 Plus 2 uh, Forums and Publishing. He's going to talk about his new book, and uh, I haven't talked to him in a while, so uh, he'll tell you what's going on with the site, with his book, and everything else. So that's going to be coming up here in a few minutes, so stay tuned. Um, and uh, so that's it. Uh, I'm going to go away from politics now and uh, move on to uh, getting in touch and uh, hooking uh, Mason Malmuth here onto the phone call. Uh, let me give him a zoom code to zoom in uh, here Danny I'm going to uh, give him right here here we go here we go just type in the zoom code to him mm, let me know when he's on and we will be more than happy to adjust him so it bothers me when people are you know, text me or send me shit that I'm mentally insane. I mean, listen, uh, I love Dean Eggs no matter what, uh, but when he disagrees with something, he's hard-headed, and he'll just start saying, I'm off my meds, I'm crazy. You guys, do I look crazy? Well, yes, I am crazy, okay? I am crazy, but not that kind of crazy, you know? I read, I do things, I... I'm literally more educated about what's going on in the world than any poker player in the world. And if any poker player wants to come on this podcast, anyone, and debate me on any issue in the world, you have a free pass to come on my podcast and debate me. And I promise you, you're going to lose because I'm well-educated and most of you people that disagree just regurgitate what you see on fucking CNN or MSNBC. So I guess there's a few of them that, are, that aren't that way. I mean, I have I have plenty of people that are liberals on the left that, man, we talk an hour a day, sometimes twice a week. I got like three of those. And we'll debate issues. We talk about what Trump did wrong, what he's done right, what we need to do to make the country better. Because you know what? All of us want to see the country become a better place. Okay. Don't believe all the division and shit. That's the media. All the division's media driven. That's all, you know. So, anyways, I'm done with that. So uh, that's what's going on in my life, man. We got uh, things are good for me. I'm not gonna lie. I uh, I think I'm about literally. Oh, 170 thousand in debt now was like 783 uh so we're going in the right direct direction uh hopefully in the next three months i will uh be uh, i just signed a new lease on my place i'm renting uh so within the next three to six months hopefully if things still go well i will be making enough money to um, be out of debt and get myself a house again and uh put this seven month nightmare behind me so uh seven year nightmare um i've never been happier i've never been more grounded if, even if you think i'm crazy with my twitter rants uh those are crazy sometimes and mo most of those twitter rants what happens is is that's why i staff twitter like during the whole pandemic i was never on twitter that's why we did only a podcast once a month because 
I knew when I get on Twitter, I see all the crazy going on in the world and I don't watch much like politics. Like I'll watch Tucker Carlson five days a week and uh, that's it. Um, I don't watch anything else. I'll even watch Chris Cuomo three days a week on the left just to see what what kind of bullshit they're spinning. The rest are just... Mason is on the line. Okay, cool. The rest are just crazy on the left or crazy on the right. So anyways, uh, that's what I've been doing. So everybody, I'm going to... Uh, Mason is on the line. I'm going to plug him in and we're going to say hello. Mason, are you there? Yes, do you hear me? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Well, I'm fine. It's a long time. I have it's a long time no see, man. Well, I haven't been around the poker rooms quite as much. Right. But I was just thinking we've probably known each other for well over 20 years. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, 20 since I met you about six months after I became professional. So since 1990, so I became November 96. So about I met you in like March of 97. So yeah, like uh, yeah. 23 uh, years, man. It's about that. Yeah. You know, I was listening to your uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. You have a long talk about uh, many of the things that you just talked about. Right. But I thought I would throw one thing out at you. I think it's a little different way of looking at something. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with abortion. Mm -hmm. I think uh, abortion actually goes back to why did Thomas Jefferson own slaves? Okay. Now, now, here's a man who wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Yeah. And then the Constitution began with the words, we the people. Correct. So, if all men are created equal and, and the Constitution is we the people, how can you own slaves? Yeah. Well, I think the answer is very simple, and it's simply that at, at that time, members of the slave population— were not really considered to be people. Agree. They were something else. And then uh, what what happened was over the years there have been a number of events that have brought more people into uh, excuse me they brought more individuals into the uh, under the umbrella we call people. Correct. Uh, the first event occurred around 1780. And that was before the Constitution, but it was when Thomas Jefferson was governor of Virginia. They uh, passed something called a Freedom of Religion Act. And what that act basically did was it meant that, that Jews were now part of the group people. It right. wasn't completely clear whether Jews should be included before that. Right. And then over the years, uh, other groups have come under the umbrella of, of people. Uh, the, the best known of these, of course, is the Civil War, where 400,000 Union soldiers died fighting to end slavery. Correct. And, you know, there's problems, you know, with the, with the uh, American Indians, I guess they're now called Native Americans. Right. And, but, but over time, they gradually got under the umbrella of people. Well, when, when I look at this, it seems like there's one group left, and, and, and that's unborn babies. Yeah. Do unborn babies deserve to be under the group people? Yeah, and I was always pro-life, or pro-choice, I mean. And uh, the more I, 
I, I just love every living thing. I have a million animals. I, I can't kill anything. So when I started learning more about, and this is a very touchy subject, so I try my hardest to stay away from it. You know, um, I do believe that uh, there should be some kind of either heartbeat law or 90-day law or I think a heartbeat law would be best. But I, I mean, the craziness, I mean, there, there's so many babies that live at five months now and yet they just suck them out of a vacuum and kill them at five months, six months, and they think it's okay. Now, I'm against that. Um, and because I say something like that, and again, I'm gonna try and switch this subject as fast as I can because I know it's very touchy. Uh, but, you know, it's... Um, it's just, you know, if you really care, it's like, how is it, you know, I, I did, I did a, I've done hypotheticals to some, a lot of a left, far left poker players. Like I even, again, I'm not naming any names and cause I don't think it's fair, but I mean, I said this to, some, to a very well-named player. I'm like, how would you like if your wife is six to seven months pregnant with your child, you get in a massive fight, you throw things at each other, she goes and has an abortion done. That's killing your child. He says, no, that's her body, her choice. I'm like, you say that now, but if it actually happens, you're not gonna think that way. I'm sorry, it's no way you're gonna think that way. So with the with these, with the abortion law being changed into these late-term abortions, I just think it's sick and disgusting. Now, most people that I bring this up to, they're like, oh, that's not true. That's all propaganda. You're making it up. But go look for yourself. Do your research. It's happening. I don't make these things up. So, anyways, that's all I have. Well, uh, another way to uh, sort of consider this just for sake of argument, let, let's say the high heartbeat law, law is right. Mm -hmm. Then where do you draw the date? Exactly. You know, is it one month, two months, six months, nine and that, months? And that's what that person said that I was talking to. Right. Uh, so you can't really go by a, a number of months or whatever. You have to basically go once a heartbeat is detected would, would be my would be my thought process. Well, you know, as you and, and some of your listeners probably know, I had a career as a professional statistician. Mm -hmm. And one thing you learn as a professional statistician is that if you're gonna make an error, you wanna err on the conservative side. Right. So that means if the heartbeat law is right, you would rather have that date be a little bit too early than a little bit too late. I agree. You know. So I, I think that's that's the way to, to approach that. Yeah. So, so, so the first question is, is this a group that needs to be brought under the umbrella of people. Mm -hmm. And the second question is, where do you draw the line making sure if you make an area error on the conservative side? Yeah. No, that, no, that totally makes sense. You know, yeah. that totally makes sense. And, and the thing is, is like, uh, listen, I, you've known me 24 years. I mean, I've been loud. I talk from the heart. I don't uh, pull no punches. You know, and sometimes I say dumb things, you know, uh, and I, more than sometimes, probably a lot. But you know what? In a country, now that I've 
like I never knew shit about politics five years ago. I didn't even know what a Republican or a Democrat was. I knew I knew the green felt. I knew I was a great poker player. I never watched TV. I didn't watch television for 25 years. I mean, I watched sports, HBO, Sports Center. That's it for 25 years. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't know anything. So I have a new book that I'm writing that's coming out called Poker, Pain, and Politics, How All Three Made Me a Better Person. Now, now that really doesn't really talk much about politics. It talks more about the poker us plan, talks about Black Friday, how it affected me, the pain I went through after my surgery where I was bedridden for 15 months, and the politics, which basically when I bring up the politics part is it made me learn about what's going on in the world and how many people are suffering. And I, as a good person and everybody who knows me knows, I wanna make the world a better place. I think we all wanna make the world a better place. The only difference is the Democrats and the Republicans have a different way of going about change to make the world a better place. I think that's the only difference. So when I bring up the politics part, I have so many people calling my show and tell me, you know, uh, when Obama was in office, our lives were terrible. They destroyed our businesses. They had all these regulations that absolutely handcuffed our businesses where we couldn't make money. We had to fire employees. And these are all things I didn't even know about, right? And they are like, when, now that Trump's in office, our businesses are thriving. They got rid of these ridiculous regulations. I didn't even know what a regulation was, you know, but they, they, they told me all these things and then I did a lot of reading. So when I get attacked by poker players that are so uneducated, I tell them, none of us live in the real world. Even if you're playing $1, $2, no limit hold'em, you're not in the real world. You're winning or losing like, two or three hundred dollars a day in a one and two dollar game that's not the real world the real world is a is a husband and wife with two kids that are making five hundred dollars a week maybe six four hundred after taxes and they have to feed two kids and put them through school that's the real world and they're working two jobs so when any poker player weighs in that they think they're all righteous and they know what's going on you need to learn that you know, they want to talk about privilege. You need to learn about how privileged we all are as poker players, whether you're playing 100, 200, no limit, 400, 800, no limit, or one and $2, no limit. No matter what, none of us are in the real world. So go out and empathize with the people in the real world. And that's the politics part of my book that I bring, I'm reading. So I'm writing. So, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm sure you agree with what I just said. Pretty much. Yeah. So pretty much. So you got a new book coming out. Why don't you uh, tell everybody uh, what's going on with oh, that and uh, explain everything. Let me hold the book up so everybody mm -hmm. can see it. See how it gets on there. Can okay. you see it? Somehow I hold it. Hold it up. My my editor said hold it the... higher. Tell me when you can see it. Okay. Uh, there it is. Okay, there it is, everyone. It's called the history of the world from a gambler's perspective. Okay. And it's written by myself and a historian named Antonio Carrasco. Okay. Uh, but basically what happened was I have an interest in history. I like reading about it. Me too. And when I would read about it, every now and then I would see something 
that really for practical purposes was uh, either a gamble or uh, or some characteristic of gambling was on display. Now, usually when you read history, that's not the case. But it happens often enough that, and this started many years ago, I, I began to, th to think about possibly putting uh, t together a book about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And in 1987, I... I wrote the first edition of my book, Gambling Theory and Other Topics. Right. And for those who have it, there's a little bit of this stuff in the very back of the book. It's one of only two books I read. I read that book, and I and I read your partner, Dave Clancy's book on Beginning Hold'em, uh, uh, well, before I ever played, uh, when basically Limit Hold'em was like the king back in the day. And, right. and I was like, you know, D Dave's charts on what to play and what position. And those are the only two books I've ever read, by the way. So uh, kudos to you and David for that. Uh, other than that, I never read a poker book, so. Anyway, I thought I'd, the thing to do is talk about a couple of the chapters that are in the book. Okay. Uh, well, for, first in the beginning of the book, we define what gambling is and find something called non-self-weighting strategies. Uh, the, the way we define gambling is, is simply uh, Come on, you're going to come up on the table. We got a cat who who lives in our office. Oh. Looks a lot, lot like your cat. He's a yeah. too. I got four cats. They live all over this fucking house. <laughs> you can see him. Anyway, he wants to be petted all the time. Here comes my 19 year old. He's coming up now. Come on, Flash. Yeah, this guy's like. Come on. Come on, Bubba. He likes to be a star. Yeah, come on. You're in the way. No one wants to look at your rear end. Yeah. He's coming. Here comes Flash. Come on, Flash. There he is. He can't help himself. He has to be the center of attention. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. He'll be 19 in January. There he is, Mason. Wow, that's all. We I've think this guy's guy. about seven. He showed up one day. I've had this guy had since him. 2002. He's yeah, watching we've me. Had, we've had this cat for about two and a half years. Yeah. And uh, our office is a great place for a cat because you have all these pallets in the back stacked up. So there's all sorts of things to climb up and down on. Oh, they love to climb up when you're whenever you're in the on the computer. They love to spend time with you. Yeah, he uh, likes sitting on the keyboard too. Oh, when absolutely, mine does the exact same thing. So funny. So, anyways, go anyway, back to those chapters. Yeah. So the the book has uh, expert gamblers in it and failed gamblers in it. And, uh, but I thought, I thought I would start, we have a chapter early in the book to kind of, it's not really part of the, the history per se, but it sort of il illustrates some of the ideas in the book. And, and I, I thought I would talk about it on your, your show, because I think it's a, uh, a topic that you would be interested in. Yeah. And what's the greatest NFL bet of all time? Do you have any idea? Uh, the greatest NFL bet of all time. I know I didn't make it. <laughs> uh, I would say, um, prop. I, I guess. I mean, it's tough for me to remember. I will say, betting on the Giants in the Super Bowl of 2007 against the undefeated Patriots, where the line opened like 12 and got bet down to like four. Maybe that was one of them for sure. Well, here's what we have in the book. Okay. And I, and to give him some credit, David Sklansky was the first person to ever tell me the, about this idea. Right. 
But in 1969, the New York Jets. Oh, yeah. That was my second their, choice. That was my Yeah, with their one. charismatic quarterback, Joe Namath. Right. They went to Super Bowl. Correct. That was, now, that was actually going to be my pick. It was that or the 2007 Giants. Yeah. So I agree. They're not, they're not the bet. But Namath, before the Super Bowl, a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, was, was everywhere. Right. He, uh, he did every interview possible, including a famous one at the Miami Touchdown Club. The game was held in Miami, Florida. Right. And, and at the Miami Touchdown Club, he guaranteed that the New York Jets would win. And, of course, at that time, everybody thought the NFL was a much better league than the AFL. For those who aren't as old as we are, uh, the American Football League, when they merged with the National Football League, they still played a separate schedule for a couple of years. Okay. So the Jets had become the uh, AFL uh, champion. And they were expected to be a – to be easily defeated by the Baltimore Colts. Who was the, that? Then the Baltimore was in the NFL, correct? Right, Baltimore is the NFL team. Okay. So the Jets win. Now, after they won, the experts of the day were the so-called sports writers. It's not like today, right? And the sports writers, they basically everyone said that this game was a fluke. That Namath, with all his talking had totally psyched out the Baltimore Colts all by himself. And that's why the the Jets won. Mm-hmm. But any expert who had watched the game and watched it carefully would have realized that the Jets outplayed Baltimore in almost every facet. You know, they had a better defense, they had a better offensive line, running backs were better, I mean, receivers were better. And Namath also played well. It's funny you'd say that. You know, now that you said that, I'm going to try and f- I'm sure it's somewhere up the there's got to be a video of it and watch what you said because i've heard that but i've never actually watched it so uh that'd be something i might do on some of my free time so the next year is super bowl four and the afl team is kansas city and kansas city is actually considered to be a better team than the new york jets were Mm -hmm. but again no one gave them a chance and they played uh, the Minnesota Vikings. I think the, the Vikings were like 14-point favorites. And Kansas City won the game easily. And it's, it's pretty clear that the line was probably off by 30 points. Right. So, that, so that, that would go down as the greatest bet ever. And the, the reason it's in the book is that if you were a smart gambler, all the information was there. Right. Yet... Most people ignore the information and, and, and bet the wrong side and, and so on. And that's why the, the line was uh, heavily in favor of Minnesota. Right. So, so, so that's a little idea of what this book is about. It's all sorts of events like, like this. Mm, sounds great. And uh, probably, the, you know, talking about today's politics, we have uh, on the cover pictures of four people. Uh, one of those people is Robert E. Lee, who's kind of at, sort of out of favor today. Right. But Robert E. Lee is the greatest poker player that ever lived. Wow. See, even I though... Uh, I didn't even know he, he even played poker. <laughs> well, he didn't. Oh, he he didn't. himself uh, was uh, very negative. Well, I understand. He was very negative towards any sort of gambling. Gotcha. But when you look at his battle plans... Oh, 
Okay. Uh, they're constructed just like uh, poker plays. Okay, I see what you're saying here. And just just to, we, we have three chapters on, on Robert E. Lee in the book. I'll just go through two of them quickly. Sure. Uh, the first one was early in the Civil War. He had to defend Richmond from the encroaching uh, Union Army. And the commander of the Union Army was a man named George McClellan. And McClellan was way too conservative. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, from poker, how do you play against a player who's way too conservative? You fucking you, you raise and raise and raise and you pound on him. Well, here's what Lee, Lee did. Uh, McClellan had an army about, I think it's about 120,000. Mm-hmm. Lee had about 60,000. Mm-hmm. And what Lee and his staff had noticed was that part of uh, McClellan's army, I think the, the right wing, was on the other side of one of the rivers that led into Richmond. I think it was the Chickahominy River. Mm-hmm. And so Lee came up with this battle plan. He would take almost all his army and attack that right side. In front of the city of Richmond, he left a very small number of troops. And their purpose was to make as much noise as possible. So if you notice here, what Lee has done is he, he set up what we, what, we, what we poker players call a semi-bluff. The idea is to attack the right side. And maybe you, you run over it completely and then run through the rest of the army. So you have, actually have a small chance of winning the battle. Mm-hmm. But against a uh, a general like McClellan, who's too conservative, he what he's really hoping will happen is McClellan will fold. McClellan will get all sorts of reports from uh, of casualties from his, from this right wing of his army. He'll ignore reports from the other areas of his army that there's no fighting and no casualties, and he'll go ahead and retreat anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And, so, so you have this brilliant poker play where uh, Robert E. Lee gets his uh, opponent to retreat. And at any time in that battle, if uh, McClellan understands what's really happening, he can move his army forward and capture R- Richmond. And the Civil War would have been over in 1862. Right. So, so, that, so that's one example. Another example, which I really like, was the Battle of Antietam, which also occurred, it was in September of 1862. And again, Lee is facing McClellan. So they have this battle, it's in, uh, it's near the town of Sharpsburg, Maryland. And after a full day of fighting, the the battle is essentially a draw. Mm -hmm. And, but Lee's got a problem. His army, again, is half the size of McClellan's army. McClellan has a lot of troops he didn't even commit. They're still in reserve. Uh, Lee's lost really about one-third of his, of his army, has either been killed or wounded or about out of ammunition. And uh, Pat is getting in. We'll sit on the keyboard. My, my you know, they're about out of head. ammunition, and uh, they, they can't fight anymore. <laughs> so. so, like, you know, when you tell me this story in, in a couple of these chapters of the book, which – really sound interesting to me if you see what's going on and today it's ba- you're basically seeing a modern day version of history um i do believe in my heart that everything you see going on in this country is stoked by the media 
I don't know if you agree with me on that. Uh, I do believe that um, they, the politicians in this country are catering to a very tiny percentage, what I will call the fringe left. You know, they have fringe on the right, fringe on the left, but but this is a fringe. I mean, they, they, the the the, the mayor of L.A. yesterday just says he's cutting 1.5 billion from the police department budget. He's cut. Why are why you have to? I tell people all the time. Ask yourself why. It's not about police brutality and deaths. There were nine unarmed black people killed by police officers last year. Seven were justified. Two are facing prosecution. Let's just say two or three of the seven that were justified weren't, but they were actually called justified. Either way, that would be like five people out of 10 million people that were pulled over and arrested. And, me, uh, and it's just a false narrative. Yeah. And, Let and, me finish up the Lee you know, story because it's interesting. Go ahead. And, and, and then let's come back to that because sure. I, I think I have a pretty good analogy. Okay. Uh, so so what happens with the Lee story is he knows that he has to retreat. And he knows that uh, if he retreats like he's supposed to, even a conservative g- general like McClellan will, will chase him and he doesn't have a very good escape route. So, so he's going to have a lot of problems. So what Lee does is he stays in place. He keeps his battle lines in place. And so the next morning when McClellan gets up, he sees that Lee's still there. And he assumes that, well, Lee must have been reinforced over the night. So therefore, McClellan doesn't attack him. And then that night, Lee is able to retreat unharassed. There's a chapter in the book. We ran an excerpt on our website on it, using it, on Leon Trotsky. And one of the debates today with all the socialist stuff, does any of it work? And I think, I know you'll agree that when you look at history, socialism does not work very well. Right, exactly. But who was the first person to really realize this? Well, one of the expert gamblers in the book is a man named Leon Trotsky. And for those who don't know, in, in, in 1917, you had the Bolshevik Revolution, where the Bolsheviks or communists took over Russia. And then the next year, early 1918, civil war started. And the, the civil war was between the Red Russians or the Bolsheviks and the White Russians, who were democratic forces. And at the beginning of the Civil War, the White Russians actually had uh, better, uh, they had a better army mm-hmm. and they had better generals and everything. And the Red Army, which was mainly made up of the old Tsar's army after World War One, which had been badly defeated. And then you had these Bolsheviks and they had these ideas. And you actually see some of this today in some of the ideas, but they had these ideas that you really don't need an army. You should have all volunteers, and they should be in little militias. And uh, these these little militias, if they got to have an officer, well, they can elect the officer. And the people together will volunteer to do what's best, so you don't need things like military discipline. To me, that sounds a great deal like the funding of police today. Right. 
So what Trotsky did, he realized that, well, you know, if you have an army like that, well, first of all, I got a little ahead of the story. Trotsky in 19, I think in 1918, is named Commissar of the Army. So he's in charge of everything. And and he, he's number two in power next to Vladimir Lenin, who's the, the head of the what was then Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Trotsky says, well, if we use these, Bush, these uh, Bolshevik ways to fight, we'll, we'll be easily defeated. So Trotsky himself realized Bolshevism didn't really work very well. Right. So he, adopts, he adopted bourgeois ways, which was precisely the things that the Bolsheviks wanted to get away from. And he adopted these ways so that the army would have a chance to win. So that they did things like uh, they brought back the officers from the former Tsar's army of World War I. These people knew something about how to lead men. They uh, brought in uh, strict military discipline, including capital punishment. Right. And in, in a very short amount of time, he put together a pretty good army. And they were able to, and, and, and using non-Bolshevik ways, they were able to defeat the the white Russians. And because of that, we, we have we, we have the, we had the Soviet Union. Gotcha. And but, but what's interesting about it is today we have all these people who who, you know, they want to defund the police and do down other things. And here you have one of the very early communist leaders who was very, very important in establishing the Soviet Union. And he basically said, well, if we follow those policies, we won't be successful. Right. So that was his gamble in the book. His gamble was that, that that he could get the, uh, the leading, the the Bolshevik Congress at the time to accept non-Bolshevik ways to defeat the, the, uh, the white Russian army. Wow. And he was successful. Lenin finally supported him. That's pretty good. You know, I uh, I try and read history. I try and learn as much as I can. And again, you're you know you're talking about somebody you've known me for a long time. That these are not things I ever did. It's kind of a new chapter in my life. I'm trying to figure out, you know, because yeah, I knew American history growing up. With you know, you're taught American history when you're in high school and stuff. But it's amazing to me how many in the new millennials and all these people, they don't have a clue about American history. And I blame that on either government not having, paying teachers enough money to teach our kids. I mean, the uh, education of our kids are just atrocity right now. And that I think is what's causing so much of what's going on in the world because people are so uneducated. And uh, I, I just, I don't even understand. Um, and again, maybe it's just me, but the thought process that goes through somebody's head that every election, just every election cycle, it's races, 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 to try and to me, now I might be wrong, to try and stoke fear and to get the black vote out to vote. And they did it in 2016 when those five officers were murdered in Dallas and three in Louisiana. And that's kind of when I realized to myself that this is craziness. Like, 
could you I grew up where and I'm I'm a little younger than you but I grew up where like you idolize the police when you got pulled over you're like oh my god oh fuck I got pulled over and you're like yes sir yes ma'am I'm sorry sir I, I'm sorry and and then they see you're nice and half the time they'll let you off of a ticket sometimes they won't but now it's like attack the police uh we have fucking corrupt politicians are pushing an anti-police negative on a narrative that is 100 percent false and fabricated now i i don't know where to begin or where to start but i really think it's an easy fix i mean if you just with with the with the way and the technology we have now today they have undercover cameras they could sew a camera as big as this bottle cap maybe smaller like probably half the size of this bottle cap into every police's uniform where the data goes straight to the cloud and then we don't have to worry about police brutality. We don't have to worry about somebody unjustly being killed or even racially profiled. Because if, if, if an African-American person gets stopped by a cop for doing nothing, right, and harassed, and then they make a complaint, it's going to be in the cloud off that camera. You see what I'm trying to say? And it's fixed. You don't need to defund the police. You don't need to do all these crazy talks they're saying. You know, you know what I'm saying? This is a, the easy fix. But ask, I tell people all the time, ask yourself a question why they won't do that. I know the answer. Because if they do that, they'll show that everything they say is a false narrative and they need to stoke racial division for political purposes. And that's the bottom line. That's the way I feel. I don't know if you feel the same. No, I, I agree pretty much with you. Let me tell you a little story from, from my life. I, I went to school at Virginia Tech. Okay. And in the 1971, there was all the Vietnam uh, protests on campus. Mm -hmm. And it really, really got bad. And the school was almost closed down. And the president of the school brought in 3,000 state troopers to keep the school open. And so... Every place you went, you, you saw a state trooper. Right. And, of course, we, the students, were all, you know, against that. You know, we, we didn't feel like we wanted to live in a place where the, the state troopers were everywhere. And that's kind of what's happening now. Yes, but what happened then was the school stayed open. I got an education. Right. If, if they wouldn't have brought the state troopers in. Right. That, that wouldn't have happened to me. School wow. would have closed down. I might not have gotten my education. Wow. And for my career, having that education was, you know, made all the difference in the world. Right. So sometimes these things these police do when they're directed properly mm -hmm. are actually good, even though you may not, not realize it. No, I agree. So that, so that, 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 that's a little bit of, of my experience. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, like even like when I got set up and had to do six months in jail in 2004 for something I didn't do, you know, that was one bad cop and one bad, my doctor was, they, it was just a bad situation. But, you know, even my PO officer in jail, we had a long talk and he would say, listen, Mike, 75% are great. They live for the people. They do the job to help people. 20% are kind of a little 
power hungry and they'll do things, you know, they, they're just doing their job for the money and they really kind of don't care. And he said 5% are scumbags. I mean, and that's what he told me, you know, and, and that if you look, if you really think about that, if you relate that to poker, that's probably the same. 75% are good people. They care about the game. They want to make the game grow. 20% could give two oops a fuck about anybody in the game. They just want to get, got, want to make money and they don't care about growing the game. And then you have the 5% scumbags that'll steal, cheat, lie, maneuver, uh, coerce people into loaning them money and staking them as they bamboozle them out of. So it's just the same as any other job. And I bet any other career is the same. It's just the way it is. You know, that's just, you know, my opinion. Let's take a short break to open up the phone line, Mikey. Okay. So uh, we're going to uh, open up the phone lines for anybody who wants to take questions or ask me or Mason any question. So that's, um, you can uh, hit the queue on the uh, phone line segment, buddy. The mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. All right, so the phone lines are open. 702-329-0480. You're on the phone with me and Mason Malmuth. All right, we've got a call. Welcome. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike and Mason Malmuth. What can I uh, talk to you about? Ask us some questions. What's going on? Hey, Mike, this is Craig Mason. I'm in the chat. Okay. And I've met you both before. Mike, I met you once at the Poker Stars event in the Bahamas. You were really nice. I took a picture with you. Okay. And Mason, we played 3060 at the Bellagio once, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. I learned how to play from you and your books. And uh, I tried to make a move on you, and you got me good. So that's in my interaction with you. <laughs> um, but I was calling because I didn't really have a question. I just wanted to throw out there, you mentioned about the elections and this whole media division and uh, how they're doing it for the elections. If you look on Google Trends and search Black Lives Matter, you can see that in the summer of 2016, you see it go way up. And then you see the same thing now. Of course. It is exactly what you said. They are only bringing this up. They don't care about people's lives. They just want power. And yep. they want to keep us divided. They want to keep the blacks versus the whites and different religions against each other and the gays versus the straights. And it's all just to take power. Because united, we are strong. Divided, they can take more power. And united, we are too strong to be controlled. And that's all I got. Thank you guys for the show. You're, I love it. You're 100%... I 100% agree. Mason, I'm sure you 100% agree with that, too. My comment would be uh, you have to give this movement a lot of credit. I mean... Yes, I agree. A few years ago, you never even heard of them. Yeah. And now they're uh, very, very powerful. 
They're very, they're probably the most powerful political party in the country right now. I think that's right. You know. They've taken basically taken over the Democratic Party. Absolutely, and yeah. uh, and the Democrats don't. What they real don't realize is is ninety. And I say this because I had to learn myself from twenty sixteen, where I knew nothing about politics, and I was like eighty degrees right. And then Daniel was 80 degrees left, and it, it almost cost us our friendship because it was I it became like a war of the roses type of thing. Uh, but most of the country is five degrees right or five degrees left, and to be to be pandering to such a fringe movement could end up backfiring and uh, give Trump re-election. Now, with that said, I I'm not, I have no qualms of backing down with it. I. There's a lot of things Trump's done that's really upset me, uh, but to me the alternative is is just worse, and uh, that's my my thought process on that. So, you know, it is, you know, it is what it is. It's it's an election year. I now that I've now this will be the second election I've actually been through since I've known anything about politics, and uh, according to before my father passed away, he sold. This is what his quote to me was, Mike. He goes. Uh, ever since I was born and I can remember, the left and the right played politics and division like this every year. The only difference now is you have social media to magnify it. That's it. He said nothing has changed. He said the media was always left-leaning and left-driven. And uh, and uh, when, the, when the Republicans were able to really combat that is when Roger Ailes started Fox News and literally was able to show the country uh, a different perspective of the world. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what I've learned from it. So, yeah. I I think that's basically right. Yeah. Uh, Even if you go back to uh, the time of Lincoln, he had a lot of critics. Yeah, of course. And uh, he was, at least for portions of his presidency, was not a very popular president. Right. No, uh, and uh, you know, uh, from history, if you look back, um, and, and, and again, uh, I, I, I just try and, people, so many, my problem is, and you've known me for 24 years, you know that I'm outspoken, and a lot of times I just talk off the cuff, uh, but people who know me know I mean well. Um, and sometimes when I tweet or put out a controversial tweet and get attacked for it, it's not, it's just because I do it really fast and I, I, I just do it from the hip. You know what I'm saying? Like if I took an extra two minutes to like write a tweet out of my thought, maybe people wouldn't go so crazy on me. But I, I see things and I try and educate poker players. Um, they're unfortunately like I'm, I listen to what anybody else has to say politically or about anything else. If you were to tell me a story, we could sit down for lunch and you want to tell me something, I'm going to listen to you. Um, if I have a worldview of something, I will sit down with many of my liberal friends and I will explain why I have my worldview and, um, and we'll debate them. But when you're uh, what Mac Lance has always said, and me and Matt are, are worlds away politically, but we could have a political discussion two, three times a week. And we talk about, you know, if you're not willing to go outside of your own beliefs 
and listen to other people's thought process and respect them, then you're on the far left or vice versa on the far right. I was playing poker with one of my good friends. Um, his name is Nick, uh, Nick Vertucci. He, he used to play a lot in the live the bike games and he is a huge Trump supporter, okay? Like he makes me look like a, he's a huge Trump supporter. And so, you know, we were playing last night and uh, we're joking around. I go, Nick, I just want you to know I'm still going to vote for Trump and I still believe in his policies. I said, but he's a fucking moron, right? And he's like, no, he's not, no, he's not. Now that's the same thing as the far left. They're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is how it is, this is how it is, okay? And they don't listen. And he was arguing with me. And, and my point I tried to get across to him was, all Trump in the last four years had to do was have a PR person go a good a good press secretary, a good PR person, and before he tweets anything, somebody has to go over it, fine tooth and comb, and do it. Instead, he'd wake up, 3.15 a.m., for like the first two years, I had it on schedule. The 3.15 a.m. West Coast tweet, where he was probably sitting on the fucking toilet and had nothing better to do than tweet out something <coughs> stupid. And like even two days ago, when he retweets a pretty good video of Trump supporters supporting him, but he didn't go over it with a fine tooth. And one of the guys that's driving the golf cart screams out white power. And he retweets that. Now, this is why I call him a moron because I know Trump's not a racist. I know he cares about everybody. But when you allow yourself to retweet something that stupid, that's a fucking moron to me, okay? And so most of his wounds in the last three years were self-inflicted, even with all the fake bullshit, all the Russia hoax, all the Mueller hoax, all the impeachment hoax, if you didn't have these self-inflicted wounds, he would be polling 70, 80% and win this election in a landslide, even with Corona. So you gotta call it out like it is. You can't just be a fucking far left libtard or a far right MAGA person. Cause those, those you, can't, you, you can't have discussions or any type of, you know, just debate with people like that. So that's just the way I feel. You agree? Hey, Mike, I'm, I'm still here, and I, I was listening to that. And, oh. uh, you know, I see, I see what you're saying about how Trump appears to be kind of uh, kind of a dupus in some of his things. They seem like self-inflicted problems. But mm -hmm. I'll just leave you with one quote. And if you haven't read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, okay. it, is, it really makes how Trump acts make a lot more sense. And Trump is, uh, you know, he, he knows about The Art of War. He wrote Art of the Deal. Right. And Sun Tzu says, hold out faith to entice the enemy, mm -hmm. feign disorder, and crush him. So this could be an act to bait them into all of this stuff they've done with the Mueller hoax. I'm sure they've done rampant election fraud. Who rampant. knows where this virus came from and if they knew it was going to happen. You had Nancy Pelosi saying, go out, go out. They knew. Go to China. They uh, knew. And so they and they're going to get caught red-handed and just wait for the October surprises because they are going to be surprising. Well, I hope... Thanks for, thanks for, I hope from oh, from your mouth to God's ears that you're right. I hope he can overcome these self-inflicted wounds because I truly, truly 
even I and and listen, a lot of my listeners could be thinking I'm crazy and I'm wrong, but tr- I truly believe from my heart and from people who know him very well. I become very good friends from some with a lot of high ed people in Washington, and they say he is a good man that cares about this country. Yes, he wants loyalty for people that work for him, but that's not a dictatorship. That's a guy. And think about all your friends you have in life. You want them to be loyal to you. Do you want somebody working in your administration that's leaking to the New York Times and making up shit about that you just so they could take you down or make themselves look better? I mean, so these people that know him told me, I said, well, how do you rate him as a person? I had one guy who's who's actually his chief operating officer in 2016, was on every campaign stop with him. And he told me from one to 10, he rated him a 10. He said, the man will do anything for anybody. So, you know, there's, I hear that from, from more than one people person. So, you know, I, somewhere in between lies the truth, but uh, I, I, let, I hope you're right. Let, let me make a little comment here because the, the caller mentioned the art of the deal, which I've read. Uh-huh. And in the art of the deal, one of the things Trump talks about is the idea that let's say you make an offer to buy um, some real estate and and the seller doesn't want to uh, sell to you at the price you're offering right so instead of bargaining with them what trump would often do is say fine i won't buy it and then trump says often six months or, or a year later he's able to get it at an even lower price right so if you think about it, it's something. It's somewhat similar to playing tight at a poker game. Yeah. If you don't have a good bet at a particular point in time, you don't make it. Right. And and you wait to where when you have actually have the good bet. Right. So that's just something that that Trump does. So I I think on some of the stuff that that's going on now with the election and everything, I, I think Trump may be waiting. To, for for, well, for the right opportunity, and then we'll. Uh, you're 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 now the fourth person who said that to me, and <laughs> I hope you're right because like even like I'm my, my I'm going to have uh, Aubrey Huff is going to be on my podcast this week. Um, he, he's a big Trump supporter, two time World Series champion from the San Francisco Giants. He was literally not invited to uh, the ten year reunion because of his views and how much he supports Trump, which is really disgraceful. A lot, now me, I follow him on Twitter. I think he's funny. I think he's everything he says is truthful. And a lot of people on the far left will think he's crazy. Okay, but again, that's a debate we can have. You know, it's real easy to, you can't just say because you disagree with them, they're crazy. Some, in this world, like if I disagree with somebody on the left and they wanna point out something to me, I'll show them when they do point it out to me where that's false. You see what I'm trying to say? And I would say one out of 10 times, they get me. If that, maybe one out of 20. But you can't just say, this is fact, this is fact, this is fact, without showing me, because I could show you the opposite. And, you know, I hopefully you're right that he is waiting. But like he put out, the reason why I brought him up is, is he put out a tweet the other day that says, that said, GOP, are you just going to let Trump lay, live on an island by himself as the entire as the polls continue to sink and nobody has his back? You spineless motherfuckers! He put out, and and you know what? 
Even Tucker Carlson said that the other day. He's like, the GOP is weak and spineless. Do they really think this Black Lives Matter movement is just going to go away? It is huge. It's not going to go away. It needs to be addressed. The longer you wait and the longer you don't have a plan to address some of the false narratives being said, the farther they're going to control the narrative. Now, now, Trump has always been great on flipping the narrative, but right now it just looks like a sinking ship, and I hope to God that you're right um, out there, both of you. So anyways, we're going to uh, hang up with that caller. Hey, I appreciate the call. We got some other calls coming in, so uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. You're very welcome. Love the show. You got it. All right. So uh, you got some calls there, Danny, to call? All right, so we got a couple missed calls. We're going to call them back and uh, see what they have to say. And uh, how's uh, the site? Uh, two plus two's gone. It's pretty big nowadays, huh? Well, it's 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 not as big as it once was, you yeah. know, during the poker room. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, but it's, it's still a good size site. Sure. And we still have a lot of people participating. Sure. Welcome, Hello, to, the, yeah. welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike and Mason Malmuth. How you doing? Doing good, Mike. Doing good. Yeah. Hey, uh, two quick things. Played back, played with uh, you back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, one comment, and I, I got a question for Malcolm. Uh, Mike, uh, try to not get too thin-skinned. Yeah. Because I've read your tweets. I've known you for a long time. Yeah. And you're all right on all this. So don't let uh, don't let the craziness get to you. Because uh, you know, someone said something about being crazy. I listened to your yeah. last podcast and everything you said was lucid it was just on target it was right. like just listen to this it just makes sense yeah i would love to see you and daniel debate these issues that's for sure he will never debate um, the issues because every time he try he attacks me and great no matter what i'm always going to love him as a friend but he's a very stubborn person he's one of the most stubborn people in poker and whenever he wants to attack me I say, come debate the issues. And I point out the issues to him. I even send him charts to show that this is a false narrative or to show history or to show what's being done is is false. And all of a sudden our text comes to an end because when, you, when you're on the far left or the far right, like I was talking about before, it's their way or the highway. Even if you show them pure proof that what they're spinning and saying is a lie, you could show them and they don't believe it. Just like like the Mueller report showed, Trump never had any connection to Russia whatsoever, yet he, him and absolutely like 52% of Democrats still believe that he was in cahoots with Russia to steal the election, even after it's been shown that it was all fake. You see what I'm saying? So it's it's a tough Absolutely. argument, you know. If Daniel came on the show with me and we discuss, and we I wrote down ten different po- topics to debate him on, and he would be wrong on nine of them, he'd go fucking crazy. So it's just I don't understand people like that. Like my my friend John Garza, who's listening to me right now, he's a he hates Trump's guts more than any human being probably alive yet. We're very good friends. We come from complete opposite ends of the world, okay? And we talk politics, and he'll listen to me, and then he'll tell me I disagree. 
and I'll listen to him and I'll tell him I disagree. But that's just what society is. The thought process is you're crazy and you need help and you're way off your meds because you disagree with what I'm saying. That's, that's, that seems like that's the left's answer whenever they disagree with you because they can't debate you because they, they can't win on any of the issues. That's all. So, yep. You know. And, I, you know, Daniel's capable of being very open-minded. I think it'd be a really good thing for poker. It'd be good for did. him. It'd be and, good for him yeah, to be, get out of a bubble, you know? I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, think, I think the poker players could be, uh, with, even with his weight, both of y'all's name, it would, it would, it would have an impact, a positive impact on Absolutely. the community. Maybe even. And that's all but, I, uh, I anyway, really want. Just, Go ahead. Just stay, uh, stay positive about it. Stay lucid. But just a quick question from Malcolm. I enjoyed his, uh, his takes on the Lee. I'm a history buff as well. But uh, those were I didn't know those particular stories. I knew McClellan being uh, very uh, conservative, one of the reasons Lincoln fired him. Uh, but what, do you, what does he think is the greatest bluff in history? Interesting. What do you think, uh, Mason? I never uh... – I don't really know of that many bluffs in history. Uh, in the, in the book, the, the the bluff we talk about is the one I just talked about, which was McClellan at Antietam. Uh, as as for the greatest bluff in history, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about okay. the greatest poker bluff or the greatest like any any? I mean, I, I think like World War Two Operation okay. Overlord. You know, where uh, basically uh, the Allies thought that we were going to uh, attack at a different location, and we hit Normandy instead, the dangerous beaches of Normandy. Uh, you might even go back to Desert Storm with what Schwarzkopf did, mm-hmm. uh, thinking we were going to go one way, and we rolled all the way across the desert. But And you can even well, go all the way back to hell. Let, let, let me comment a little on, on that. I know on, on our website, when I announced that he was working on this book, a number of people said that uh, I had to talk about D-Day because of the huge gamble that it was. But but yeah. in our opinion, D-Day was something that was very, very well thought out and very well put together. So the only question was, would it be executed right? And if it was executed well, we felt that it, the variance on it was small. And when you have a, a small variance compared to your expectation, you're not really gambling. So we did not look at it as an as a gambling event. So whether it included a bluff or not, it was not something that that, that we felt belonged in the book. I do want to make a comment uh, on Mike uh, going back to Daniel Grano because we, we've had way more than our fair share of problems with him. Mm-hmm. But, but a number of years ago, I recommended to him that he read uh, two books. One was. Uh, 1984 by George Orwell, and the other was Free to Choose by Milton Freeman. Right. I think you'll find those two things very enlightening. Listen, and and I was, listen, you brought up 1984. That book was brought up to me about three weeks ago. And so um, I ordered it. I have not started reading it yet. Yeah, a caller mentioned it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now, I mentioned also to Daniel, uh, because one of my good friends, told me to read the book. It's like a 1,100 pages. I think it's called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It talks about how Hitler came to power and the communists and the socialists and, um, and how history is, if you read that book, you read about history and how it's 
kind of repeating itself in 2020. So, you know, but, but when you tell somebody, again, when they're set in their own ways, they don't want to look at a different view. Um, again, I'm not, not picking on Daniel. I'm just, I just, just happen to bring it up because you know, I love him to death. But, but like in the world, to become a better person, it's very important to read outside views that you disagree with. This is why I force myself to watch between two and three hours of left-wing media a week, even though I disagree with, because it's very important to see what's going on in the world, not outside of your bubble. It's so easy to watch media and news that is news that you agree with. So you can watch that program and say, yep, I agree. Yep, he's right on point. You don't want that. You want to go outside your bubble. This is why I I tell people and, and I, I always like to bring up Tucker Carlson because because Tucker is not very really not very political. He yes, he's he's a libertarian, but I mean he calls out the GOP, the he calls out everybody, you know, and there you know, his his answer is, Oh, he's a racist, right? And then he'll show me a clip that's been edited 50 times to literally make him look like a racist. And then I show the entire 30 minute clip and all of a sudden the text stop. You see what I'm saying? Anything could be spliced and cut to make somebody look bad. You know, but I, I don't watch the, the far right people. I don't watch Hannity, Laura. Uh, I just watch Tucker because I know he's fair. It's the same reason why I, I, I watch Cuomo because even though he's very left leaning, he's usually somewhat fair. So. That's just that's just it, man. You just got to do another uh, interesting thing about 1984, and it's not really quite presented this way. But if you read it carefully, it actually has a good discussion of how mind control works. Yeah. And for, for those who who've read the book, uh, when when uh, the hero Winston gets uh, rescued from the from the rats, is the key to the mind control because that, that's what makes him love love big brother which is the name for the government in the book and i I just see more and more of that stuff around today yeah yeah i want i can't wait to read that book my big concern or one of the biggest concerns as well is just the basically the freedom of speech going away with the power and it's just happened so subtly and a lot of us are just ignorant to it with google facebook and all the social medias right it's just it's just uh they all have an agenda, and I don't think there's, uh, you know, Trump slid it through, and they're all held in every way possible for him not to get in. And that alone, you know, is such a powerful force. Oh uh, yeah. You know, Facebook even has the power to influence uh, people reminding them to vote and not send it out to Republicans. You know, there's a guy that testified in the Congress that oh. uh, talked about how powerful Facebook could be just in that, and that was years ago. And there's so much more even now going in since then with Twitter. Obviously. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an it's, idea. It's sad. I'll give you an idea on that. In 2016, when Trump got in and they held the the White House, the Senate, and the House, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the people I follow on the right said this straight out: the first thing Trump needs to do is executive order to to uh, to block Facebook, Twitter, and Google because from from censoring conservatives because if they don't in 2020 they are going to deplatform and censor everyone. Well, guess what? It's 2020 and there's 2.4 billion with a B impressions yep. that were pro-Trump in 2016 that have been erased 
from all social media platforms. You take that wow. along with the censorship of of big people on taking away their YouTube videos. And now Facebook caved to all the ad people saying hate speech. They, they could say, if you're a Republican, they call it hate speech. If they disagree with you. So now they're deplatforming anything pro Trump. And they want to talk about election interference with the 13 trolls that retweeted shit in 2016. This is blatantly trying to steal an election. And uh, yeah. I don't care if you're on the left or right. I mean, how you could think, that it's not that you shouldn't live in a healthy, you live in a healthy democracy and people put out their views and they, let them make a decision. You Right now, the tech companies who lean far left are now deciding who they want their next president to be in. I think it's disgusting. Anyways, we got to call, get a, get, got to go. We got another caller coming in. Sounds so, good. Keep I, it up, Mike. We'll see I appreciate you later. It. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's uh, what's happening in the world. It's pretty sick. I mean... I just never thought in the world, like, instead of, as long as you didn't yell fire in a crowded theater, I thought free speech was was good. You know, you say whatever you want. Let's see what our next caller has to say. Hello? Hey, what's up? Welcome Hi. to the Mouthpiece. You're on the line with uh, me and Mason Malmuth. Uh, what, uh, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up? I uh, just want to say something. Uh, I enjoy the show. I enjoy um, watching you, all your old videos pass, and, like, um, your great... Uh, great entertainer and a great poker player and um it's a pleasure talking to you and uh i just want to say like uh 2016 was the first time i ever got interested in into politics you know yeah, me too family was family was like a you know democrats for like the whole lives and like i saw like, trump coming down the escalator and i just like went over but like uh what what i want to talk about is like the polls like um people keep mentioning the polls how like trump is behind or whatnot mm -hmm. i'm like i remember 2016 the polls were Worse back then, they were having Hillary like a month, like twelve points ahead. Like, why do people still believe the polls? Or even yeah, well, it's look not at the media and believe anything they say. It's not the polls. It's it, it. I'm not worried about the polls. It's the narrative. Okay, Trump was always able to flip the news cycle in a narrative his way, and I believe yeah. that this Black Lives Matter protests, which is extremely well-funded and extremely well-organized, have been planned for three years. It is the biggest political movement in the country. And so he, I don't know if he's just trying to figure out the best way to combat the narrative without causing racial division, but is is until he's able you normally he, within three four days he's able to flip the narrative in his favor or at least what? let the news cycle change and right now he is he they have not done anything to to flip the news cycle and that's the reason why i'm worried it, unless he's I able think it, you know to flip the yeah, narrative. I, it's harder for him now because he actually is the one in power like before he was like the guy against the power like the right. power structure right and everything but now He's the, who is he, he's who everybody points to now. Like right. if any, like they're not gonna give him any good, right? We know that. Yeah, we know. Everything that. bad, they're gonna attribute it to him. So it's like it's not. It, I don't want to say it's fair because life isn't fair, right? But right. it's not really fair for him because he can't really. He's kind of like, like um, like he's kind of like hammered in, like he's cornered. He can't really do much, right? He right. can't say what and he can't really say what he wants to say. And he can't go on the campaign trail because of the corona. Thing, Corona, you know I mean? exactly, exactly. Let me, uh, so like, let me, let me chime in here. Mason, Mason, chime on in, Mason. Uh, 
virtually no one knows this, but but I worked for the United States Census Bureau as a mathematical statistician from 1979 through the end of 1981. And a little over half of my time, I worked in statistical methods division, and I worked on survey design. Survey design is polling, and I still have uh, my finite uh, sampling theory books at home. And I can answer very specific questions about polling itself. So if, if the caller has a, a specific question about polling, uh, okay. have him ask that, and I'll try to give him an answer. And uh, I, I, I always wanted to know, like, why do people put so much weight on polling? Because it, whenever I look at it, they always sample, like, like maybe the poll has maybe, like, 300 people, right? Mm-hmm. And with a country of, like, over, like, 300 million, why is it, like, I know they, they do multiple polls, but why do people... Why is it like so much weight? And sometimes it's kind of scary too how accurate it could be. Okay, you're saying, like, you're saying a word I'm not understanding. Why is it so much what? Why he why asked basically? So much, why do they put so much like, weight in a poll when they take a poll bet- that, that samples between 300 and a thousand people? That is his question. Well, a poll that samples 300 to a thousand is not a very big poll. But the the idea with the polling is. For certain size estimates, and they usually think in terms of about 50%, they want the uh, standard deviation, which is the square root of the variance, but they want the standard deviation to be a certain size or smaller. So usually the, the poll is, is designed with enough uh, sample units in it, so that will be the case. The, the problem is, in, in a lot of today's polling, is what we we call non-response. Uh, maybe when they say there's a thousand uh, respondents, they, they might have actually contacted 1,500 people. So then you have to make assumptions about the 500 people who did not answer the poll, you know, as to how similar they are to the people who did answer the poll. And, and, and there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Obviously, uh, people who live in, in the same zip code as someone else is probably going to have some more similar answers than people who, who live in very different zip codes. But those sort of things introduce errors into the polling. And I think we saw a lot of that in 2016. Right. Also, uh, there's something called response variance, which is simply when I ask you a question and you give me an answer, and then a little later I ask you the same question and you give me a, a different answer. Well, obviously, questions like that that have a, a high response variance are not very good questions. And I think too much of that got into this polling. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know. uh, thank you, yeah. I'm well, listening to Russ um, offline, but thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in and yeah. tell all your friends to listen to the mouthpiece. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. All right. We got another call? All right. We got another call. We're going to give them a call back. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate you coming. This is great, man. It's re- really good to talk to you. It's been a while. And uh, you know, I'm glad that uh, the company's doing well, the books are doing well. And uh, uh, Well, things have slowed down, you know, from, from the peak of the poker room. I mean, that, that's course. for sure. But, but we're still doing fine. Well, maybe I'll have my book published with you guys. I've, got a, I've literally got a friend that's going to uh, it's going to be really big. I'm getting it on mainstream. I'll tell you about it after. We'd certainly be willing to take a look at it. Yeah. 
Welcome to the mouthpiece. Hello. You're on the line with Mike the Mouth and Mason Malmuth. What's going on, buddy? Hey, buddy Mike. How you, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. No, the thing is like, you know, um, I start playing online, you know, uh, and uh, the thing is like, I can build up a lot of chips. Mm-hmm. But when it's like 35, 40 people, I screw it up everything. <laughs> what I need to do or what I to change all that. Okay. So this is what's probably happening. I used to have this problem all the time, and may, maybe Mason could kind of chime in a little bit, uh, is you, let's just say you get a lot of chips. And it, I used to call it the, the three-table rule, okay? Between getting from three tables to the final table, okay? You've seen yourself. You're playing solid. You get some chips. You're kind of aggressive, right? And now you're getting right. closer to that final table. And what people do is they find themselves playing way too many hands and then over uh, instead of like once they get themselves a nice chip stack with three tables to go you basically want to like whoops you basically want no problem you want to keep yourself kind of alive and slow down a little bit because once you I call it once you you have your children you don't want to leave your children out there to die so once you've got yourself a stack it's all about protecting the stack until you get to the final table, especially when you're in the mid- middle stack. If you are got a lot of stacks, just remember, if you get too aggressive, the small stacks will be moving in on you nonstop, and then all of a sudden you find yourself having a call with marginal hands and doubling up small stacks. It happens all the time. So my advice to you is be aware of the small stacks behind you because you don't want to be opening light when you have this so often when you have a small, uh, what I, not really a small stack, but a, a we call it a shove stack, uh, which is just enough to where it makes you kind of want to have to call. And uh, those, that that's uh, something that you need to just back off, make an adjustment with, and I think that's going to help you out a lot. Uh, you have no, any, uh, okay, because uh, just like, like two weeks ago, I make a, I I won the the, the tournament it was five k, and then and then through three weeks I make like uh, maybe about ten cash, you know. But I and once of those, one of those I make it to the final table. Uh, I screw it up. I think I have like three million. I raised somebody went all in with a million. I have pocket tens, and I think uh, only ten players. I think it was the the right call. Mm-hmm. And uh, he have a skin, and he just flopped the the flush. Right. And uh, that is the only thing I'm trying to figure out because I'm really good. Yeah. Uh, last week I have like a million in one uh, one of those uh, hundred thousand dollar tournament, mm-hmm. and I have a million million chips, and boom, there we go. Well, Thirty people, I screw it up again. My advice to you. And this is how I play. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Mason could give you a little bit different advice. Is when you have a million in chips and you raise, and a guy moves in like that, the chances are he does have ace king. And you have to ask yourself: Do you want to play a flip for all your chips, or do you want to fold, open, and go back and open? and steal some blinds and annies and get back those trips you just lost and then put yourself in a better situation. I do that. I try and put myself in situations where I'm playing as least amount of flips as I can. Now, there's times you just have to take a flip, but, you know, when you have chips, 
You try your hardest not to take that flip and, and play, uh, and you don't really need to collect that whole million in chips. You need to protect yours and what I call is kind of grind your way up without really risking much. Um, right, I was because gonna... I have three million that day. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mason, do you have a, a comment yeah, on that? I, I can add added one thing which uh, supports what you're saying. When you're one of the best players left, it becomes correct to give up small edges. Correct. And to wait for when you have a bigger edge. On the other hand, if, if you're one of the worst players left, you want to take advantage of these small edges. Correct. So uh, it, it almost, it sounds like what, what you're saying, he was putting himself into coin flips and he may have been, been the better player. Mm-hmm. Why put yourself in coin flips when you're one of the best players? Absolutely. If you if, if you're in a table and you're late and and you feel the players at the at the table are worse than you, then you do want to take those coin flips. If you feel you're better than them, you don't want to take those coin flips. And I agree. Right. With now, now, now sometimes you just get into situations. It can't be helped, but, but right. I think that's the, the the general idea. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, my man, I appreciate okay. the call, and I wish you the best of luck at the tables. And uh, I'm going to be playing some WSOP bracelet events, and hopefully you will, and uh, maybe I'll see you at the final table. All right. Thank you very you, much, guys. Have a great day. You too, my friend. Bye-bye. We got another call? Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see. We, have, we might have one more call, and uh, – and uh, then we'll let you promote that book a little bit more. And uh, for all my listeners out there, um, you know, Mason and Dave Skolansky, they were kind of the architect of 2 Plus 2 Publishing, 2 Plus 2 Forums. And uh, they're really good guys. Uh, I've known them for 24 years. And uh, i uh, the very knowledgeable person here. So, all right, let's see what we got here. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike Mattiso and... Uh, Mason Malmuth, who's this? Hey, Mike, it's Alex. Alex, uh, what's up, bud? Quick question, Mike. So, I think it was maybe last week you had mentioned about, and I apologize in advance if I missed you talking about it, but you talked about Jungle Man or... Um, yes, being on the podcast. Uh, who uh, was? Apostle. Apostle coming yes. on the show. So, yes. what, 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 what's the status of that? Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Jungle Man had committed to me not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, and he's canceled all four times. He was supposed to be on last Saturday. He told me he will he's going to come on at the end of the week this time. Uh, now, I, I hold that with a grain of salt. He will eventually come on. We're friends. He's just a very interesting person, and he gets busy with things. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the opposite. Like, well, if I commit to something and I tell somebody I'm going to do something, I do it. So he's kind of flaked on me four times. Uh, as far as the postal situation, I have talked to him. He's finishing up what he wants to present to the public. Uh, he's, he told me he's a couple weeks away, and then he want, he's going to do that. So um, I have my own opinion, just like everybody else does on the postal situation. Uh, I do believe that you give somebody a platform uh, in this country or innocent until proven guilty. I just want to hear what he has to say. I mean, we all have our own opinions on it, and I think our opinions are fine. But, uh, you know, I told him, you know, come back on. If anybody, 
he'll I'm gonna take phone calls and uh, if anybody attacks him or is belligerent to him, I'll just hang up. You know, you treat somebody with respect and uh, you know, if you see think he's lying and you call him out on something and you do it in a nice way, I'm I'm gonna have no problem with it because it kind of uh this needs to be I, I think it's good that he's gonna be coming on, so we'll see what happens. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, you missed it, Mike. You had a great action shot with your your brand new little kitten there next yeah. behind you. Was cute. Oh, he's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate uh, you calling in. Do you have any questions for Mason? You know, no. I just a big thanks to Mason. You know, I I mean, I've been browsing on two plus two for a long time, um, and uh, you know, uh, a big thanks to you, Mike. You know, and uh, people saying this and that Mike is, 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 you know, losing it and so forth. But what you've been through and where you're at, Mike, I want to appreciate you and what you do and, and know that we, we appreciate you. And even though I'm not going to lie, the odd thing you say, I'm like, well, Mike, I don't know if you should say that. Uh, right. I just want to say that we appreciate you and what you do. Thanks, you Mike. got it. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. All right. Okay. And John's going to come on. All right. Yeah. Our, my friend John's going to come on. He, he's a good guy. And John comes from the, you know, he's, he's a complete opposite world of, of us, you know. He's, you know, he lived in a lot of pain. He's a good guy. He's on the left, and he's, uh, we have good conversation. Hello. Welcome to the Mouthpiece. This is Mike and Mason Mammoth. What's going on? Hey, hey, Mike, it's John. Hey, John. What's up, buddy? I was just uh, telling Mason about uh, you and how uh, we're good friends, yet we completely disagree on everything politically. But... Uh, you know, we can have normal conversations because we're in a normal world. So, uh, you Exactly. Know. First of all, I want to say I had the best time in months playing in your home game. Oh, man. Thanks a lot. I, mean, I appreciate it. It was, it was a blast. I, I enjoyed the Zoom. Zoom. Whoops. What'd you do? Oh, man. Oh. Uh, We'll call him back. He's a good guy, man. He's uh, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, oh, that was uh, really fun and to, yeah. to do something different. Yeah, and 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 especially during the lockdown, you know, I know a lot of people. Somebody like you, you know, you have you, your dog, you get lonely, and it's good for to people to interact on Zoom, interact with other po with poker players and to try and get your mind off the craziness going on in the world. Um, exactly. It, it, I, ha I haven't, I hadn't played in years, Mike, honestly yeah. sat down at a, either a live game, you know, or online. It's been since black Friday, you right. know? So it was, it was really fun, man. Well, I appreciate it's it. It's a good thing going right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, you know, I'm trying to give back to my fans. I'm trying to give them, you know, so many people call in and say, I just wish I'd play a small $1, $2 stakes with you, Mike. I just want to play with you. So I give them an opportunity. Uh, we have a lot of fun in Zoom. I teach them uh, when they misplay hands how to become better. I think that that is uh, an important thing to do. And so, uh, you know, that's what I've, I've, I've been trying to do. You know, I don't know if you've uh, uh, if you've gone to two plus two forums and uh, which Mason runs. I did it. I did it in the past. I used to read it all the time. Yeah. Well, if you you know what, since you're one of my good friends, I'll have Mason. Uh, I'll get about ten book, ten or twenty books from him. I'll give them away on the podcast, 
and uh, we'll send it out to you and uh, see what you think of it. So, yeah, we can appreciate do that. We'll thank you. Few books to you. Yeah. So I appreciate it, John. Thank you so much, and uh, I'll uh, I appreciate the call. You have any questions for Mason or me today? Um. Well, I mean, the, I'm sure you've seen in the news that the COVID is bad down here. They ran out of tests. Um, it's it's really bad well, here. In, yeah, in it's getting Texas, bad. South, but that's again, Texas, that's we expected it to. We expected it to get bad again. Uh, it's but the thing is, is except for in Arizona, it seems like hospitalizations and deaths are still way down. Uh, if those start to rise, then we have to worry. And I, I was listening to the governor of Texas yesterday or today, this morning, and uh, they seem pretty alarmed. So, uh, and that's uh, when you, it's, again, it's not, people think that this COVID, it's not a political left or right issue. I mean, you've got to no, do what you not. can I agree with you. to protect everybody. And he seemed pretty alarmed. Uh, it was the first time I've seen him very alarmed. So we'll see, uh, hopefully that, uh, you guys won't have to shut down again, and hopefully they'll be able to control it. And well, the, the beaches are closed for the over the Fourth of July yeah. weekend, and one of the major uh, grocery chains over here here in Texas, H E B, is uh, mandating a mask to enter the store. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't even like that before, well, you know. So I have not, it's like pretty I said. Serious. I got no problem with it. Like I said, I was telling earlier, you know, uh, you own a grocery store, you go out, you're going to be around a lot of people. I think it, it, you owe it to people to wear a mask. I just, again, I just don't believe they should be mandated. They could be, it should be in a public place where a person owns their store and they say, you can't come in my store unless you have a mask on. It's their store. It's their freedom of speech. It's their fundamental right to deny you. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, as far as like, government telling me what i can and can't do that's where i draw the line even though i i mostly as you know me john i'm mostly trolling everybody so uh that's what i do so yeah, I, I know, I know. And, and i just want to get back to normal my god like, we all we all like want I, to i had i had a concert that i was going to go to this month zz top that yeah. was canceled i had tickets to journey in september yeah. now all of you know all of this is canceled. I want football back. We all do. You know, it's just that's the only way we're going to get it back is uh, just wear a mask. It, yeah. It's not political for me. No, it's no, not. no. I no, I agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent. Now, mo like I said, most of the time I'm just trolling everybody, but I'm just I'm just trying to point out. Don't be in a rush to give up your constitutional rights just because government tells you to. And that that was the point I was trying to get across. Unfortunately. And Mason's known me for 24 years. I, I sometimes say things and they come out wrong where everything Mason always says comes out right. It's like he's he perfectly speaks and he always says it perfectly. Me, I just, I don't know. That's why they call me Mike the Mouth. And you know, you, you know I've never insulted you nope. online. You know, I never insult never. you. I never say and, that you have... You know, the, or you know, I, you, you know, I'm not crazy. That, you you know. know, I'm not crazy. Well, some the things I say, you might think are crazy, but you know, I'm not that I'm pretty ground. I'm pretty grounded, you know, so. No, you, you, you're a you're a good guy. People, people, I I've known you now for a while and you, you're you're a good guy, man. I don't have a bad thing to say about you. Not one. 
Uh, Let me. Uh, I, I, just, I hope to be back on your site soon. You got it. Uh, Mason wants to ask you something. Go ahead, Mason. Yeah, let me just, just sure. throw one little thing here. We talked there earlier about how the idea about how a good statistician errors on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. Well, that has to be true with these masks. I mean, I would rather wear a mask when it's not necessary to wear one than not wear a mask right. where it is necessary to wear one. I agree. So because of that, that, obviously the airing on the conservative side is to wear the mask. Right. So I don't really have, have uh, much trouble with that. I, I do agree with the idea that it should be, you know, I believe in individual freedom. Correct. And and so it, I don't know if, if it should actually be absolutely mandatory that, that you wear a mask, but why wouldn't you? Right. And so that was, unfortunately, that was the point I was trying to get across. Of course, me, because I'm terrible with with words and tweeting and, and putting out posts, it came across wrong. What I basically said was, you know, like, go fuck yourself, I'm not wearing one. I didn't mean that. What I basically was saying was what you just said. I believe in your individual freedoms as your right of an American. If you don't want to wear one, that's your right. Okay, and for people to shame people because they don't want to wear one is just not fair. And that was the point I was trying to get across, and unfortunately, I came across wrong. So, uh, you know, that's see, basically I, it. I I see. I used to see them all the time without masks. I didn't. I just keep mine to my own business. You know, I never had anyone come up to me and tell me I was wrong either. You know, it's like you say it's. You guys said it's your, it's your choice. The government can't make you do anything, but if you want to wear one, don't judge me because I'm wearing one. You know, or, or vice I, versa. You know, don't judge me because we're not. You know, so right, right. Um, you know, and it, it, everyone has their own issues. We don't know if if they have someone sick at home or or you know a lowered immune system. Right. And it's a, it's not about you. It's about your fellow man. That's why you wear one. Right. So I, I want to get out of this mess, man. I'm tired of it already. We all do. We all do. We all do. Okay, man. I'll talk to you later, John. Thanks for the call. And uh, All right, Mike. You got it. All talk right, to you so, later. So what we're going to do is um, we are... What's that? Shout out to 2Cloud. Thanks for the donation. The kitty game is always down the street. Okay. Thank you for the donation. We appreciate it. We always appreciate you helping us out here at the Mouthpiece Podcast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, set up something with uh, Mason after the show. And uh, we're going to get some books. And we're going to uh, we're gonna give away some books to some of my callers. Um, and we're going to do it uh, probably on the next podcast. I'm going to talk to him and... Uh, we're going to let you guys read his new book. Now, once again, uh, Mason, go ahead and uh, put that book up there in the video and uh, tell them uh, where they could get it and how they could uh, they could uh, get it. This is, uh, again, it's called History of the World from a Gambler's Perspective. I get this right. And you can see the people on the cover. How do I do this? There you go. Well... Anyway, it's got four people on the cover. One is Queen Isabella. She was the queen of uh, Castile. And she's remembered today because she's the one who told uh, Columbus that he could go sail west. 
but there's a lot more to her than just that. The next person was Francisco Pizarro. He managed to take an army of uh, 120 and and defeated an army of 20,000 Incas. So how do you do that? The answer is by gambling. The other is, uh, third person is Robert E. Lee, who we already talked about. Right. The last person is John Kennedy. And uh, there's a chapter in here on the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is very, very similar to a no limit uh, Hold'em game. Right. And you can get the book on Amazon. And you can also go to our site and get it. If you go to our site and go to our form index, in the upper left-hand corner, there's a little box. And one of the things in that box, it says two plus two books. If you click on that, you'll eventually find to where we have this book on on special sale. And we're selling it at a much, much lower price than what Amazon's selling it. I thought uh, I could tell one more story is, is, is out of the book. Is, sure. I think Go Mike, ahead. you'd find this really interesting. Sure. And uh, it's about Wyatt Earp, of all people. Mm-hmm. And today we remember Wyatt Earp as uh, the great lawman of the West. But in, in reality... He was mostly a casino owner. And what I mean by that is what he would do is he would go to the the newest mining boom town and he would make a deal with uh, a saloon owner and they'd set up a couple of Farrell tables, which he would run and he'd hire dealers and everything. And Farrell was the, the big game back then. So after, uh, the shootout at the OK Corral. There's also a chapter on on the shootout at the OK Corral in the book. Mm-hmm. But after the shootout at the OK Corral, he had gone north to Colorado, and he ended up in, in Gunnison, Colorado, which was now the, the, the current big mining boom town. And he makes his deal with a saloon owner, and he sets up his farrow tables, and, and, and he's in business. Anyway, one day into town came a man named Ike Morse, and I actually got a little bit ahead of the story. There's a book called The Knights of the Green Cloth. And The Knights of the Green Cloth is a, it's written by a University of Oklahoma professor named Richard D. Armand. And it's a history of the gamblers of the Old West. And this story comes directly from there. And so Ike Morris comes into town. He, he goes to the, one of the Pharaoh tables and he promptly loses his money. And as soon as he loses his money, he accuses the dealer of cheating him. Right. Oh, that's so, what they, they always do when they lose. They, they, yeah. So, those, the software on the Internet or somebody cheated. Right. Him. Yeah. So the dealer says, look, uh, you know, I only work here. Uh, you, I work for wa- wages. Uh, you, you have to talk to Mr. Earp. He'll be in in a few hours. So the guy says, all right, I'll be in the bar waiting for him. So he goes into the bar and he starts telling everybody, you know, how he's been cheated. So Earp shows up on schedule a few hours later, and now a big crowd has a gap because they think there might be some real trouble between these two tough guys. Yeah. So Morris goes to Earp claiming he was cheated. Earp, apparently, the unique thing about Wyatt Earp is nothing ever bothered him. So he just very calmly listened to him, and he said, well, let me check everything out. So he goes and into the other room where the Pharaoh tables were, and he checks everything out. And he becomes convinced there's absolutely no way this guy was was uh, cheated. But he's got a problem. If he follows normal strategy and he tells the guy, look, you weren't cheated, I'm not going to 
give you your money back. The guy's going to hang around. He's going to constantly tell people how he was cheated. It's going to be bad for business. So Earp goes to the guy and he says, well, I've checked everything out. And you're right. You were cheated. Yep. And I really should give you your money back. So the problem is, is that, you know, you're known as kind of a bad guy. And if I give you your money back, people are going to think you made me do it. Therefore, I'm going to keep all your money. Now, what the gamble here is, Earp has just humiliated the guy. And the hope is the guy will be so humiliated he'll leave town. Right. But the gamble is also that that uh, Ike Morris might pull his gun and start shooting. Right. And then Earp Ar- could lose his life. Anyway, Earp wins the gamble and that uh, Morris leaves town. So this is just a, a little... A little cute story, which which we put in the book, which oh, I good. just found quite amusing, and uh, it's also a, a unique way to handle uh, problem people in poker rooms. Yeah. So you know, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you uh, telling your story. Um, a lot of people think I'm crazy when I I do believe that this COVID was not done on pur- was done on purpose. I said it since the beginning. I believe they came out of that lab from Wuhan that was 2.9 miles away. I, I don't believe in uh, coincidences. So many coincidences have happened. And when I go on Twitter and say it, they call me conspiracy theorist. Um, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I just don't, I just think the timing of it, uh, I've done the research of it, you know, like, you know, you have Biden in October tw- talking about, we're not ready for a global pandemic. This is a guy's brain dead tweeted this out in October. You had on November 19th, you had event 201 with uh, with um, uh, uh, Bill Gates where they had 5,000 people attend and they were, it was all about a mock global pandemic that could destroy our country. And then two months later, we had a global pandemic. I just don't believe in coincidences. And when I well, say these things- to add to your point there is a a mathematical theory which some of us subscribe to and it's the idea that coincidences are much more linked than they often seem to be right uh the the best example of this that i know of was when the uh space show years ago blew up Mm -hmm. and the weather was cold oh oh, the the challenger yeah yeah, the ch- the Challenger blew up and the weather was very cold. Right. Well, that wasn't a coincidence. No, that was their fault. They had no right yeah. to launch that day. They had no right to launch that, and they actually knew that cold weather. With the would, would they knew. Seals yeah, they knew. They knew. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone can say for sure that it came from that lab. Right. Uh, and it was deliberate, but but I do know that the coincidences in general are much more linked than, than people think so yeah and that, so at, at the minimum supports your position right and at the minimum at the minimum let's just say i'm way off base here at the minimum they knew about it and they didn't tell they didn't tell the rest of the world and there's no other way to spin it but like our sick media is spinning it like oh it's all trump's fault and instead of blaming who it is it was china's fault and i believe that xi jinping fucking played Trump because Trump was convinced we had nothing to worry about two weeks before we shut the country down. If he really thought we were there was that much to worry about, 
You know, it, he wouldn't be at rallies telling everybody, you got nothing to worry. I believe he was played. And that's my opinion by either people inside his administration, Xi Jinping, or the intelligence community. Because how could the intelligence community not know how bad this was going to be? You see what I'm saying? So it's, uh, yes, Trump made a lot of mistakes with it. And so did everybody else. So did Fauci, so did Birch, so did uh, Cuomo, so did everybody made mistakes. But they've turned this virus into a political battle. And I think it's disgraceful. That's all. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, it, yeah. So, um, what, what can we do to get people better, not, not politics? Exactly. Then I tell that to people, and of course the crazies on the left fucking want to argue with me, but and they think I'm a right-wing nut, which they have no idea. I'm not a right-wing nut. I just, when they want to put out something false in poker Twitter, I combat that with an article or, or a chart to show what they're saying is false. And when I do that, it's silence. And then it's back to I'm crazy. It's not it's just no debate. So it is what it is. Mason, I appreciate you coming on. Uh yeah, thanks we're, for having me. We're going to talk. I'm gonna get some uh bunch of books from you and we're gonna give them away on the mouthpiece and uh and hopefully uh people will uh re- read that book and understand. I think it's a great book. Uh talks about gambling history. A lot of things going on, and uh, I really, th- I think it's good, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. All right. Another day of the Mouthpiece Podcast is in the books. Everybody, if you enjoy our podcast, if you want to play poker with me in my own private game, we play one $2 and $2-$4, no limit hold'em, uh, email mouthpoker at yahoo.com that's mouthpoker at yahoo.com and if you mention the mouthpiece podcast you will get an extra $100 for $200 you deposit to play with me how much fun we have zooming one $2, $2-$4 no limit hold'em email me I thank you for being on the podcast and listening to the mouthpiece. We'll see you in in a few days. Peace.